Hello and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. This is Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times. Our last recruiting pod before signing day was so popular with Evan G. Watkins, I decided to bring him back by popular demand. Uh, Evan, thank you for coming back on the podcast. We're here to talk a little spring recruiting and summer with the Hokies. How are you doing right now? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I don't exactly know how the Hokie Nation is doing uh, just a couple weeks here after missing out on Devin Ford uh, committing to Penn State, the Ford Ocalypse, as I called it, when it went down. I'm sure your message boards took it in a very calm and rational manner when it happened. Is that right? <laughs> you, you could say something like that, I guess. What What is the anticipation? I mean, everybody kind of saw this coming uh, when it was going to happen. Uh, I know, I know the people on two four or VT Scoop on the message boards there get very riled up about stuff. It doesn't take much to get them going on some rants. Uh, do you just sort of like rue the moment when that decision comes out? You're like, oh man, I'm gonna be moderating stuff and have to put out fires on this message board all day. What is that like uh, for you when that happens? No, I mean typically, like even with the Devin Ford situation, we knew. Uh, you know, kind of far in advance, uh, a couple days at least, for sure that it was going to be Penn State. Um, so, you know, we we were already kind of aware of what was going to happen, and and kind of try to uh, try to you know stomp out some some flames as they may come. You know, you could see it when Virginia Tech started putting out more running back uh, scholarship offers. You know, a couple days before he announced. Um, you know, you could kind of get the feeling that it was trending towards Penn State after that official visit. So, you know, this one wasn't as bad as as some of the ones that have happened in the past where it looked like Virginia Tech was really poised to get a game changer and then they end up going somewhere else. But, you know, uh, uh, for Virginia Tech fans, it, it is a little bit of the nature of the beast. I mean, every year there's always going to be somebody who, you know, all the fans want, they're high up on the – on the recruiting board and they ended up going somewhere else. I mean, I think you can say that for almost every school in the country, maybe except Alabama, Clemson and schools like that who kind of pick and choose the, uh, the best players that they want across the country. But, you know, it's, it's, you know, part of the recruiting game, you're dealing with, with people who are 16, 17, 18 years old. And, you know, you, you never know what decision is actually going to come. You, you can try to guess as much as you can and, and try to stay ahead of it as much as you can. But at the end of the day, it's all what fits the recruit and, and what's going on in their mind at the time. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's sometimes it's tough to project. And, and for Virginia Tech fans, they've had a tough run at, you know, the last couple of years with some of these big-time recruits turning their back and going to, uh, you know, going to other schools and, and, and leaving the state of Virginia. So, you know, it's something that it's a little bit accustomed to, but, you know, with every recruit that goes somewhere else, there's another recruit that'll get an opportunity, and, you know, we'll see what Virginia Tech does with trying to find a running back in this class. Well, now i got to know, who was the worst board meltdown that you had when they committed? Um, probably Josh Sweat, because he was the number one player in the country. Oh, yeah, that was a big Florida one. State and it was, sort of, it was sort of 50-50 going into the final thing. I think Florida State made, obviously, the late push to get him, but I think Virginia Tech fans legitimately thought they were going to get him when he announced right yeah there was there was a lot of optimism there um you know even the night before his his decision everything that we were still hearing from a lot of people within his family was that they were they were here in virginia tech they thought he was going to be a hokey um you know he he woke up the next morning and informed his family he told his mom about seven in the morning where he was going um she didn't even know before 
he made that decision. So, you know, that was probably the worst one. I mean, he's as high ranked, ranked as you can be. And, you know, he's one that Virginia Tech definitely wanted to get and the fans, you know, wanted and, and needed to help kind of, kind of change the perception a little bit in the state. Um, and, uh, and, you know, he turned, he, he turned and went to Florida State and, you know, he had a good career and now he's in the NFL. So, I mean, I guess it worked out for him, but that was probably the worst one that we've had in, in a while. Well, getting back to Ford, just kind of to flesh this whole thing out, I, mean, I know you guys kind of saw it coming. I, I think all the crystal balls started turning on 247 Sports. It's like, okay, so <laughs> this is the direction this thing is going. I read these quotes that he had after he committed. Uh, you know, you've got people that I'm familiar with at Penn State. Ford said nothing bad about Tech. They did everything perfectly, and so did Penn State. I just couldn't go wrong. Uh, what was it that really kind of pushed him to Penn State? And I mean, do you think Virginia Tech could have done anything else in this recruitment to land him? You know, I don't think Virginia Tech could have done anything else. I think that he's legitimately telling the truth when he says Virginia Tech played it perfectly. I mean, they were on him for a very long time. Um, you know, they made him a high priority. He was the top offensive target on the board. Um, but you know, when he took his official to to Penn State and to Virginia Tech, um, you know, when it came out that he was going to take a spring official, that was kind of interesting to me because, you know, I, I didn't think Virginia Tech was going to do a whole lot of it. It turns out they only did two. Um, and when you do that, you don't really get the opportunity to put them around a lot of guys that you have a very good shot at landing on official visits. Um, now, yes, there were some commits at the spring game, and I do think he had a good visit. But when you compare that to, you know, him going to Penn State with maybe – you know, eight or nine guys that Penn State is going to get uh, from that, just that trip alone. You know, these guys spend 48 hours with each other. They talk all the time. Um, and when when you get that involved in it, I, I think that you could kind of see where this was going. Once Penn State started having that, you know, they had a really big weekend. They started picking up a couple uh, commits during the weekend. And then you could see, you know, a couple five-star, four star, high four-star guys started committing to Penn State every few days after the visit. You could see what was coming. You know, all those guys talked and decided they wanted to go to Penn State together. And, you know, they put together a plan. And, you know, so far it's worked out really well for Penn State. You know, James Franklin's done a great job coordinating all of these guys to commit and, and when they commit. Um, and I don't think they're done yet. You know, they'll probably still get a few more guys out of the state of Virginia. They'll get some guys that a lot of other schools want over the next few weeks. Um, but, you know, that, I think that official visit, you know, if, if Virginia Tech could have convinced him to wait until the fall to make a decision, try to get him up for a game on an official visit or things like that, maybe that would have helped. Um, but, you know, I think Virginia Tech really did all they could. I think they played it really, really perfectly. And, you know, sometimes it just doesn't go the way that they think it's going to go. Um, you know, they played Dax Hollyfield perfectly last year and got him. They played Devin Ford perfectly this year and didn't get him that's just the game you have to play when you're you know when you're dealing with high school kids and trying to build for the future yeah and it's tough now i mean they they do the official visits where you can take them like year round practically uh you know do you do you burn that in the spring or do you try to wait till the fall i guess there's not really much you can do if the the guy is you know dead set on committing in may i mean you got to show them what you have at that point you kind of have to to use everything you got at that point getting back to Penn State uh you know there's always sort of been sort of this 
barbarians at the gate type thing coming into Virginia and, and plucking recruits out of Virginia, you know, Florida State in the past, Ohio State, Alabama's done it. Penn State is the one right now, I think, could get three of the top four guys in the state uh, this year. Had a couple, uh, two of the top three, I think, last year. Uh, how big of a threat is this going forward now that Penn State is really rolling? Because it hasn't been that way in a while. I mean, when, you know, when Virginia Tech beat Penn State for Kevin Jones, that was late paternal years, and you know, Penn State was not recruiting real well. Obviously, had the whole Sandusky thing and the sanctions that took Penn State down a notch. But Penn State is back now, and this is going to be a, a formidable force that they're going to have to deal with on the recruiting trail, I would imagine. Oh, it definitely will be. I mean, um, every year, like you said, there's always a team or multiple teams that come to Virginia. You know, Virginia Tech, or Virginia is a hotbed of talent, um, especially throughout, you know, the Hampton Roads region and Northern Virginia. Richmond's kind of fallen off just a little bit. It looks like they might be on the uptick, uh, back now with, with some more players. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things that really the big thing that's going to help Virginia Tech with the state is they have to start getting better in-state perception. Uh, and that starts on the field. They got to start winning some more games. Um, you know, I think Justin Fuente's done a very good job. I think he's won what 19 games in two years, which is, you know, a very good turnaround from the, the end of the Frank Beamer days. Um, but you know, you got to start building that, um, you know, building a pipeline in Virginia and letting Virginia kids know that they can win at Virginia Tech and they can win big. Um, you know, I think that's something that uh, a lot of these guys that left. That left the state we're leaving the state for florida state you know that's a that's a power alabama that's a power penn state you know they're they're a they're a blue blood school that you know is, is going to be in the mix moving forward um so it's you know it when when big time programs like that that have a, a very strong history and, and you know a, um very strong recruiting pool and use that history to their advantage come in you know, that's one thing to watch out for. Um, but I still think Virginia Tech can do really well in the state once they start to change that perception. And, you know, like I said, that that all starts on the field. You know, the, September 3rd is a great opportunity for Virginia Tech when they when they play Florida State down in Tallahassee, go down there and try to get a big win and, you know, see if that starts to change some of the, the, the tide in, in, uh, in Virginia. I mean, a couple of years ago, they got that big win over Ohio State, but then you know, kind of fell flat against some teams they should have they should have beaten uh, during the same season. So, you know, if they can get the ball rolling, they have a you know a pretty formidable schedule this year where they can make a little bit of noise and try to start changing that perception. Um, that's really going to be the big thing that helps Virginia Tech with in-state kids. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think people sort of have this unreasonable, unreasonable expectation that Virginia should Virginia Tech should just close off the borders to Virginia, and nobody's going to come in and get any of the top-ranked guys. I think they're uh, imagining some scenario in the past that never really existed that much. I mean, maybe in the immediate aftermath of the national championship game season, uh, you know, a couple years after that, they did really well with the top guys in state. Uh, but that didn't last. I mean, and that's when they were their their highest visibility in terms of national prestige and playing in these types of uh, national games. And you know, it's been a while since then. I mean, gosh, it's been you know over ten years since Tyrod Taylor was a freshman. I mean, it's been a long time since they've uh, sort of had that perception within the state. Uh, what is reasonable uh, for in-state recruiting? I mean, how how well could they do uh, with the top talent in the state? You know, I've always thought if Virginia Tech could get four to six of the top ten players in the state, I think that that's a good pool. Um, because you're always going to have players that are not going to want to go to Virginia Tech. 
you're going to have players that maybe live in Virginia now, but are from a different area or from a different state that they're looking to get back to. Um, and then you have to look at what borders Virginia. If you can get, you know, four or five or six of the top 10 players in the state, and then you go down to North Carolina, maybe you grab two of their top 10. Um, you get a couple kids from Georgia, you know, Georgia's got anybody in their top, you know, 75 or 80, you know, would be probably top 10 to top 15 in Virginia. So, you go down to Georgia where that talent pool is really big, start pulling some guys from there, maybe pull some guys from D.C. or Maryland, and you can have a very solid class, um, you know, throw in some top 300 guys down in Florida, um, you know, and you, and you can really start winning some football games. You can you can get a lot of good players, uh, you know, buying into the culture and wanting to go to Virginia Tech. So I don't think it's it's realistic to think that Virginia Tech would ever, you know, go 10 for 10 in the state. Uh, for the top 10 guys, but I do think anywhere from that four to six range of top 10 players is probably the the area to aim for, especially right now and in the foreseeable future. Maybe try to bump that up, um, you know, after you can kind of get the reputation where it needs to be in the state. Um, but, you know, I, I'd, say, I'd say four to six is probably, probably the, the benchmark that they should shoot for. Yeah, and it's it's going to vary too. I mean, there there's some years where uh, you know through evaluation that Virginia Tech does, there's guys in the top ten in the state that other people might value that much that Virginia Tech probably wouldn't. It wouldn't take in a given year. Uh, you know, I think that happens year to year. Where you, I, I think I want to say last year there were probably six takes in the top ten that they would have taken from the state. So sometimes that's a little misleading when you just go strictly by the rankings. It's like, oh, well, you got a top ten guy, but if he doesn't fit your system and doesn't you know, project well at your school. How good is that to just win a recruiting rankings type thing? Uh, you know, nationally, I think Tech kind of makes its living between 20 and 30, uh, maybe topped out once at 15 or something like that nationally within the rankings. Uh, I don't think they can get much higher than that. I mean, they're just not, you know, a blue blood type school with recruiting that's going to be a consistent top 10 class. So I think it's sort of something the fan base just kind of has to live with is that that's sort of the reality with it. And within that, within those recruits that they pull in a given year, they're just going to have to find the right guys that will fit in the system and, and dabble it with a few uh, you know, stars here or there that can kind of stand out. And certainly if you can do that, the quarterback position, that's where you, okay, now you could be something special. If you have a solid group around them and a really special quarterback like that, is that sort of the blueprint for success for Virginia Tech? I mean, that's how Frank Beaver did it for a long time. I feel like that's sort of the same way Fuente has to do it, right? Yeah, I think that's, that's fair to say. I, I think Virginia Tech has made their living off of talent evaluation and player development. And I don't think you'll see that change. You know, I think, a lot of people, you know, say that you can go out there and just, you know, hire a hire a, a, a recruiting ace, and it's going to change the the team or the change the program. And you know, I think it definitely could help. I think that you might help land one or two players a cycle that could help the team. But I think that Virginia Tech will always make their money off of player development and player evaluation. You know, the days of finding some of those you know, gym recruits that nobody really knows about that turn out to be a star, that's probably long gone with, you know, the age of social media and huddle and, you know, recruiting sites and all of that. But just being able to go out and maybe find a guy like a Greg Stroman, had some ACC offers, Virginia, Duke, Virginia Tech, and turn him into a guy that, you know, has a chance to play on Sundays now um, yeah, after four years at Virginia Tech. Uh, you know, I think that um, player development is probably a, a 
for a team like Virginia Tech, for a school like Virginia Tech, that's a major part of the puzzle. Um, offensively and defensively, actually, with, with Bud Foster, it is very much a scheme fit for Bud Foster and Justin Fuente. So you, you're 100% right there. There might be a guy who, you know, he might have 40 offers and, you know, going to, you know, one of the national championship contenders that just wouldn't fit at Virginia Tech and what they do. Um, and, and that's something that uh, some people may not realize. Um, and you may just have to really sit down and break down film before you can actually figure out this guy doesn't fit or, or this guy would excel at, at Virginia Tech, and he only has a handful of offers. So, you know, it is a game of, of evaluation. Um, you know, the, the, the staff, you know, they, they're evaluating hundreds upon hundreds of kids. You know, most schools are putting out you know, 200 and so scholarship offers a year. So, you know, it's, uh, it, it's a very interesting world to, to be in with that. Um, but I do think that Virginia Tech's bread and butter will be finding some guys that maybe are passed over from the Clemsons and the, the Alabamas of the world and turning them into very, very good college players that, you know, they may go on to have a great pro career, who knows, but turning them into the best players they can be at Virginia Tech, and I do think that's their blueprint for success. Yeah, I mean, at a certain point, not everybody can play for those schools. I mean, they're going to run out of, of slots. And, and I don't want to make it that, you know, we're sitting here talking about you know, how, how poorly they've done with these top-ranked guys. But, the, you know, they, they did land Devin Hunter last year, uh, Quincy Patterson, Dax Hollyfield, uh, Trey Turner, Taiwan Garbutt. They've done pretty well uh, in these couple years under Fuente. I think they're improving the reputation. Uh, where does Virginia Tech turn now? I mean, who are kind of the next guys that they turn to? You mentioned a lot of running backs that they had offered uh, recently, who are some guys to, to keep an eye on right now? You know, one of the guys that uh, um, that I think would help change the perception in the state of Virginia is Tavion Robinson out of Cox High School in Virginia Beach, four-star wide receiver. Um, he picked up a, a, a handful of scholarship offers, uh, and he'll he'll probably pick up more. But Virginia Tech has a very good shot there. Um, ever since he took a visit in February, he just kind of fell in love with the school and. He's been, you know, very much on the, the Virginia Tech train for for a while. Um, he hasn't committed uh, to Virginia Tech yet, um, but I do think that's coming sometime this summer. Uh, I don't know that he to, to, uh, definitely has a plan set out for that yet, but I do think that the Hokies have a good shot there. Um, you know, there's some guys like Riley Simons. He's a big-time offensive lineman out of Buford, Georgia. Um, that is very high Virginia Tech. He's a top two of Virginia Tech in Florida. He's taken his uh he's taken up one of those early official visits to Florida this weekend. Um but he's gonna be in Blacksburg in late July for an unofficial visit. Uh, he's gonna make a decision following that. You know, that's another guy that I think Virginia Tech could keep an eye on. Um, you know, Jordan Houston, he's a guy that was a little undershadowed because uh or a little overshadowed I should say, because of Devin Ford, they're from the same, you know, Northern Virginia, Virginia region, um, running back athlete type guy. Uh, he's a heck of a player and he'd be a heck of a, a fit for Virginia Tech in that offense. Could play running back and play slot receiver, um, could move outside and play, play wide out. Uh, he just gives a lot of options, a lot of versatility. Virginia Tech's definitely in the mix for him too. You know, this class for Virginia Tech 2019 class is going to be small. I mean, there's, there's only so many spots that they, they have. I think they had 10 seniors that left. Uh, you got some guys that maybe transferred out or things like that. You know, the class might grow to the 15 or 16 range. There's six guys committed right now. There's not a whole lot of spots 
Um, but, you know, Virginia Tech will try to get this whole class wrapped up before December, and that starts during the summer. Um, you know, that big summer event they have at the end of July will be a uh, will be a, an opening opportunity, I think, for a lot of people to try and jump on board and kind of get this class rolling a little bit more than it is now. You wrote an article the other day, five players Tech needs to get on campus. You just mentioned three of them there. Uh, defensive tackle, uh, Darius Jones was another one. Bishop Sullivan, a three-star guy. Um, defensive tackle seems like a pretty important position recruiting-wise this year. Certainly when you, you're going to lose Ricky Walker, Vinny Mahota to graduation, and behind it you kind of wonder who are the next guys to step up. I think J- Jared Hewitt is is probably uh, a good one in line there that, that maybe has gotten the coach's trust a little bit. Uh, how important is that to find some tackles in this class? Well, that's got to be uh, one of the highest priorities in the class. It probably is the highest priority. Um, you know, there's some guys that, that Virginia Tech, uh, you know, you, guys like Tim Settle don't grow on trees. And when they do, the, uh, you know, a lot, of the, a lot of the schools are going in. You have a, a whole lot of competition. You know, anybody that's 6'4 and over 300 pounds in high school is going to be sought after by everyone. So, you know, Virginia Tech has kind of always made their living on the D-line with some undersized guys, guys 6'1", 265 to 275 or so in high school coming out. Um, you know, I think it's got to be the biggest priority, though, this year. You're right, they lose a lot of guys interior on the interior line, and they don't have a whole lot of depth right now. So I, I think that Virginia Tech will probably end up taking two to three defensive tackles, even though the class is so small. I'm not sure they can afford not to. Isaiah Hazel was another guy you had on that list uh, up in Marlboro, Maryland, a four-star guy. Who, who's the big competition there, and, and how do you like their chances in there? You know, I think Virginia Tech is definitely in the top you know, two or three. I know he put out his top seven. Virginia Tech was on that. Uh, he really likes Alabama. Um, he does have an offer from Alabama, but I, uh, you know Alabama kind of throws out a bunch of offers and then says, "Hey, come to camp, and we're going to take the best guys." So you know, I think that that's one of the opportunities that he has is to go down there and, and prove he can do it. Um, you know, he's a guy that is super old school when it comes to recruiting. He doesn't really do social media too much. Doesn't talk much to uh, a lot of the, the recruiting guys doesn't do a whole lot of interviews and doesn't really take a whole lot of visits. You know, when he visits Virginia tech, it's going to be like, you know, he just pops up on campus for a few hours uh, just randomly and shows up and hangs out and then goes home and doesn't really make a big deal out of it. He does that everywhere he goes. Um, He's always struck me. And I I mean, I may be wrong. I've been proven wrong before, but he strikes me as a guy that's going to stay close to home. I think Virginia tech and Maryland are two of the schools that are, are, you know, are right there. Um, and if, if Penn State pushes for him, maybe Penn State could get up there and get him. Um, possibly a school like maybe West Virginia or something like that could sneak in. You know, I know he's, he's, he's limited his list now, but we've seen where these things go, where they limit their list and then reopen their list and, and do all of that. But I think Virginia Tech is definitely in it. He has a really good relationship with Hallman Wigan. Uh, he talks to Justin Fuente when he's allowed to. They have a really good, um, you know, really good connection and, you know, Virginia Tech has been a school since day one that he's mentioned is always on him and he's very interested in. So, you know, he, he's expected to visit Virginia Tech again this summer at some point. Like I said, he doesn't make, make a big deal out of out of visits. It might be a random Wednesday that he shows up on campus. But, you know, he's another guy that I think the staff would, would really like to, uh, to get him on campus and, and try to get him locked up. 
uh, and try to give them another op- option on uh, on their offense. How often do you see that with guys where you know they have a quote unquote offer from a place like Alabama? And, and of course, if that comes to these team, these guys, that's going to be top of their mind. Like, oh, I want to go play in Alabama. But how real is that offer? Uh, how often does Virginia Tech just sort of have to wait some of these guys out so that you know not not all these guys are going to go to Alabama and that class is going to fill up with really good guys and that's going to leave some very good guys that fall down the the, the totem pole a little bit to the next schools. Uh, how much is just sort of uh, the waiting game and being patient part of the Hokie strategy in the recruiting front? You know, like I said earlier, there's, you know, schools put out typically over 200 scholarship offers a year um, to sign at the most about 25. Um, usually you have less than that. Usually the average class is probably 18 to 22 range. Um, so when you, when you're putting out that many offers, uh, there, there is going to be a waiting. There is going to be, um, you know, the point where you, you have to make a decision. Do you want to offer more kids at the position or do you want to wait on a certain player? Um, you know, in in Virginia Tech's uh, you know scenario, since I've been covering the Hokies, there's only a handful of players that you can definitively say every year like this guy definitely has a spot. Uh, you know, in this class, most other kids, it's going to be, you know, we're going to rat and stack and, and kind of see where they fall. Um, you know, there's obviously their internal target boards, which you know, they might say we like these eight wide receivers and we'll take the first two to commit, for example. Um, you know, there could be a situation like that, or they could have a guy like Dax Hollyfield last year where they say, you know, we got slim, you know, the kind of slim, slim pickings at, uh, at linebacker of who we're going to take. We will take Dax no matter what. You know, Keyshawn Artis is one of those guys, too. We will take Keyshawn Artis. They ended up getting both of them. Um, so it kind of depends. It varies on what your needs are for the class. You know, do you need a quarterback? Do you need a running back, you need three wide receivers or one wide receiver, you know, it all, it all varies on how it's done, but you know, the whole giving out non-committal offers or offers to come to camp or things like that. I think that that has been a trend that's really grown in the last probably three or four years. Um, personally, I think it's unfair to the kids. You know, I think there's a lot of miscommunication about that. You know, you say, Hey, we need you to come to camp and work out and we may offer you that doesn't mean you have an offer right now. And I think that there's sometimes some stuff that's lost in translation uh, or, or they, you know, people might report that, uh, that a kid got an offer when, you know, maybe he didn't, or maybe he just misunderstood what was going on. And so, you know, I do think that, that, that does happen. It is a trend that I think is happening more um, along with, you know, we're going to offer 600 people and then we're just going to slow play the ones we don't want and and see if they go other places unless we have room that we can pick them up later um you know recruiting is not a sprint it's definitely a marathon uh it, it all kind of comes out in the wash when you when you look at it that way. Um, there's going to be some kids that rush to decisions maybe then you know you can flip and, and things like that but you know i think that it's um it's definitely a, a patient man's game it's definitely a game you have to take advantage of the opportunities that you have and and push for kids when you know you need them or know you want them uh, and kind of see how the chips fall elsewhere. Getting back to running back, Taj Gary was another uh, guy. I think he put Virginia Tech in his top eight uh, recently, uh, running back out of Georgia, uh, Atlanta uh, area. How good of a chance do you think they have there? I mean, is there a priority there between Jordan Houston or, or Taj Gary, or are they kind of uh, even on both of those guys right now? You know, I'd say Jordan Houston, 
Taj Gary, uh, Keyshawn King out of Florida, uh, Jemias Griffin, who they offered today, the younger brother of Jalen Griffin up at Virginia Tech. I think all four of those guys are kind of guys that are, you know, up towards the top of the running back board. Um, Jordan Houston's a little bit in a different uh, situation because he can also play slot receiver and do a couple other get things for you, and he could be classified as an athlete. Um, but, you know, I think all four of those guys are, are right there in the lit, uh, you know, in the thick of things for Virginia Tech. Um, Jamas Griffin, he's a guy that uh, he committed to NC State last week. Uh, so at least Virginia Tech knows who their competition is for that one. Um, you know, he's a guy that uh, he's very close with his brother, with Jalen Griffin. So it's going to be interesting to see if the Hokies can, can try to get in there and sneak that one out. Um, you know, Taj Gary, like you said, he – I think he's a very underrated back. I think he puts up some huge numbers in Georgia. And, uh, you know, his his film is really, really impressive with some of the things that he can do. Uh, I would say Virginia Tech has a pretty good shot right now. They just really do need to get him on campus. He, he's never been up there before. Um, you know, I think Keyshawn King at Florida, he, he's a guy that seems to be interested in the engineering aspect of Virginia Tech. He's never been on campus either. Um, the Hokies are trying to use some uh, some academic, um, you know, accolades that they have with their engineering department to try and convince him to, to come up and take a visit. He's going to be a tougher pool of the four. He might be the toughest pool out of the four. But, you know, I think those guys right now are all kind of up there in the pecking order. And, and Virginia Tech's going to push. They want to, to sign one of those guys. They want to sign in the lead back, in their opinion, guy to tie up on their board. Uh, you know, missing Devin Ford was was uh, a big blow to them, but you can't sit back and just let that, you know, that that's going to have to to fuel you to find somebody else. Like I said, when one kid goes somewhere, somewhere else, another kid gets an opportunity. So now it's time to find the next guy that they want to step up and be the guy. How tough is that for Virginia Tech recruiting-wise? with running backs. I mean, I've long wondered this where they have sort of this by committee and, you know, there's not consistent carries from game to game. That's a position where these guys really like the ball in their hands and, uh, you know, they're going to get it at a lot of schools. They're going to be a featured guy. And I know Fuente has said, you know, if I had the right guy, I would feature him. They just haven't quite had that so far, but how do recruits respond to that? Does that make it really tough for the, the Hokies to recruit an elite back when, you know, the couple years that Fuente has been here, they haven't really used a guy as a featured back? You know, I don't think it's as hard for Virginia Tech to sell it as there's a lot of other schools that will undermine it during the recruiting process. You know, I've heard that this before with, uh, you know, there was with some guys last year with Devin Ford this year. Uh, you know, Virginia Tech – can be Fuente's reputation can be sold as as a full on spread offense. Um, you know, and, and other schools will say, "Well, look at their running backs. Look at the how many yards they have." You know, when your leading rusher has 500 yards on the year, it really doesn't look that advantageous when you look at it uh, on on paper. Now, obviously, we know that there were other running backs that also had a, a lot of yards, um, and when you average it out, you may have you know ran for uh, you know. 1,500, maybe even more yards. I don't have the stats off offhand, but, you know, when you look at it and, you know, maybe you go to an opposing school and they say, well, you know, Virginia Tech's running back Stephen Peoples ran for this many yards last year. If you aren't well-known or well-versed in the offense, then you may maybe, uh, you know, easily manipulated in that. Um, you know, that's part of recruiting is not only recruiting somebody to your school, it's recruiting them to not go to somewhere, somebody else's school. So, 
you know, I do think that running back recruiting has been an issue at Virginia Tech, uh, a little bit on Justin Fuente. I think a lot of it has to do with the perception that other schools are putting on Virginia Tech, not as much as what Virginia Tech is actually doing on the field. Um, and, you know, I think that that's kind of been a little bit of a history, and, and that's just something Virginia Tech's going to have to get over. They're going to need to find somebody that can that can put their running game on the map. Um, you know, I, I don't think that schools get penalized from running back by committee. I mean, Penn State sold Devin Ford on being a three-headed monster. So, you know, I don't think that's a it's really a bad idea to to rotate running backs. But I think there does need to be a rhythm and a you know a rhyme and a reason for doing it. Uh, and I and I think it does kind of open you up a little bit to some negative recruiting from other people. But I think that's something that you, you should be able to get a, over. And you should be able to uh, to sign those guys. Anybody else on, on Tech's radar that uh, you really like or, or you think the Hokies have good chances with that we haven't mentioned? You know, I really like that Devon Ellis guy from up in uh, Maryland. He went to high school with Dewan Ellis. He's a defensive tackle that's got, you know, really good size, really good uh, length and range uh, for a defensive tackle. He moves well. Um, and I think that he's a guy that can, can be explosive. Uh, he does have a lot of offers that have come in. Um, anybody that you know is, has followed me on VT Scoop knows that I'm a huge fan of Logan Cash out of Georgia. He's a defensive end that was the Georgia sack leader last year. He had three and a half sacks. Um, you know, he didn't really have a whole lot of big offers. Virginia Tech went down during spring evaluations and offered him. And within probably 48 hours, he had Miami, he had North Carolina, he had Ohio State, Clemson. You know, he really blew up after that offer from Virginia Tech. So. You know, I think the Hokies might still still be in that one, trying to get him up on campus. You know, he he's always seemed to like the Hokies, and he's a he's a guy who really fits Blacksburg. Um, but guys that fit Blacksburg typically also fit Clemson, South Carolina. So, you know, um, off the football field, they're they're very similar. Um, so, I think that uh, you know, I think that's mm-hmm. going to be some comp- top competition there for the Hokies. Uh, yeah. There's another. There's a there's a defensive lineman out of out of Georgia that I like, Zaylin Wood, doesn't have a Power 5 offer yet. He's supposed to visit Virginia Tech here in the next few weeks, and I, I think that's going to change. I think that the Hokies will be will probably be the first uh, Power 5 school to go in on him. You know, and he's a guy that you turn on the film, and he's just explosive. He's violent. Uh, he's what you want from a defensive tackle. Uh, he plays a little bit on the on the end right now, but he's he's already 270 pounds. He'll be a defensive tackle at the next level. You know, and I think he's a guy that that fans may not know about, but you know, might be kind of sleeping on a little bit if they do know about him because he doesn't have a very, very uh, big offer list right now. But I think that's about to change. Well, moving to some of the guys that Virginia Tech already has commitments from uh, Jesse Hansen, a local guy here from Troutville, Lord Botetourt High. Uh, got a Clemson offer not too long ago, and I, I saw when he tweeted about it, he's like, oh, I got a, a, an offer from my childhood team. They show him as like a five, six-year-old or whatever wearing like a full Clemson <laughs> jersey and everything with a helmet. Uh, is that a concern for the Hokies that all of a sudden this, this team that he's followed forever, one that just you know so happens to play in the, the playoff every single year, uh, is offering this guy? You know, I think I think – uh, it's definitely something to keep an eye on for Virginia Tech fans. But on the other hand, you know, his he is a uh, Clemson legacy. Uh, his, his father did go to Clemson, but 
the uh, the fact that he camped for Clemson every year since he was a freshman and never got an offer from him, um, I think that kind of sits with him. You know, he he a little bit feels like maybe he wasn't good enough for a long time, and then you know now you you figure out you want to go to Virginia Tech, and now all of a sudden Clemson wants you. I do think that that's a little bit of what's going on in his mind. Um, also, Virginia Tech did a really good job when they when they took his commitment. You know, he's a guy that they knew going in. You know, they have a really good shot at him, but if Clemson offers, that's going to be interesting. You know, things could change, you know, and, and from everything we've been told when he committed to Virginia Tech, it was very much if Virginia, if uh, if Clemson comes in and offers, that, that would be great, but this is where I want to be and this is where I want to go. Obviously, things change in recruiting. We've seen people flip that were solid. We've seen people that seemed like they uh, they weren't solid end up signing with the Hokies. So, you know, anything can happen there. But right now, I don't think it's a big concern. I do know he he has talked about possibly visiting Clemson this summer. But, you know, if you follow him on, on Twitter or anything like that, he's also also very, very pro-Virginia Tech. He's right up the road, 45 minutes away. I think if he was maybe a kid from Charlotte or Northern Virginia or even, you know, Hampton Roads, Maybe things would be a little different, but you know he's 45 minutes from campus, and I think that Virginia Tech's done a really good job there with him and his high school, and you know they're recruiting a few of his teammates right now for some future classes. So I think in the end he does sign with Virginia Tech. I wouldn't be surprised if he took a visit to Clemson. Um, you know I, I'm not sure he'll take an official, but if he took a visit this summer down there, I wouldn't be shocked. I know he'll be in Blacksburg probably every weekend they're having events he'll take a short trip up he seems to pop up there all the time so you know I, I don't think that the Hokies should be super worried but I think it is something to keep an eye on because of who Clemson is and his ties to that school I should correct myself on this he's from Daleville not Troutville I don't want to get the Daleville mafia on me uh, for mis uh, <laughs> misidentifying uh, the city he's from uh, Elijah Bowick uh, wide receiver who committed in January uh, from Charlotte uh, has gotten offers recently from Georgia and Notre Dame. Those are some pretty big dogs there in the, the college football world. Is that a reason for concern? You know, he's a, he's a guy that I think will uh, – I think he's going to visit Notre Dame. He's mentioned that he wants to visit them or, or that he was open to the idea of visiting them. You know, I spoke to him uh, about two days ago, and he told me flat out he does not have any other visits planned at this time, but he does – have a visit to Virginia Tech coming up here in a few days um, where he'll be back up in Blacksburg. You know, he's a guy, when you look at, um, he committed in January. When you look at that, it's like, you know, he did commit kind of early. But on the other hand, he committed early kind of unprovoked. Uh, you know, he wasn't, uh, in January, the school isn't pushing you to go and make a decision. They're not forcing, you know, the idea of we could you could miss out on a spot when there's only one other kid committed. So, to commit kind of unprovoked like that does, you know, say something about how you feel about the school. Um, you know, everything that I've heard is he is he's locked into Virginia Tech. That's not just from him, but from people that are around him, people that know him. Um, you know, if, if he does take some visits, you know, some guys take some visits with their seven on seven teams and things like that. You know, I wouldn't be too surprised if he took visits, but I do know he'll be uh, up at Virginia Tech a few times this summer and. And he seems pretty high on the Hokies. You know, if he if he were to flip right now, I would be a little surprised. Um, but you know, we never know what happens if these guys start taking some visits and doing things like that. But right now, I think that he's pretty locked in. 
What do you think of the class as a whole right now? I mean, they got six guys. They're ranked the uh, let's see here, thirty third nationally. Uh, one four star, three five stars. Uh, two pretty good linemen. It looks like in their offensive linemen. Uh, what is your take right now on the current class? You know, I really like the offensive line. You know, I really like Ryan Hudson. I think that he's you know, he's rated the number ten offensive guard in the country, and I think he could move up higher than that great versatility uh could play inside or outside i think he's a guy that virginia tech really needs to come in and push some of that <clears throat> some of that offensive line um try to push some of that competition um, usually on the offensive line or the defensive line you don't hear a lot of guys that you think will will be able to make an immediate impact but he's one of those guys i don't know that he will but i think that he could come in and make an immediate impact at virginia tech and Jesse Hansen, like you just talked about, I think he's underrated. Um, you know, there's some publications out there that already have him as a four-star recruit, and I think that he will probably play into that um, by the time his senior year is done and move into that four-star uh, range. You know, he's a guy that at six, four and a half, six five, and th- you know, just a hair under 300 pounds, he looks like he's college ready right now. He's not a bad 300 pounds. He's a he's a really well put together kid, um, and I think that that's going to really help him. Uh, you know, Lord Bobbitt runs a really good program over there, and, and they do well in the weight room. I think he's going to going to do well. Um, you know, Nightly Hawkins, guy that was a four-star um, kid, uh, committed to Virginia Tech, went to a camp, had a great camp, and somehow fell in the rankings. You know, one of one of the sites dropped him from the 24/7 composite, so he moved down to a to a three-star. I think he's a, a good prospect. I think he'll be a safety. Um, you know, I'm not sold he can be a corner, but. I think that, uh, you know, he has the ability to possibly learn how to be a corner. He's a natural safety. It reminds me a little bit of Adonis Alexander, who I thought was more of a natural safety than a corner as well. Um, you know, obviously we've talked about Bo. I think that his potential is really high. Um, Mike Sainer still coming out from Massachusetts. He's listed as a corner. He might be a very dynamic spot receiver if, if Virginia has the ability to move him over. I think he can play a, be a very good corner. Really good hips, really fluid, really quick. Um, but some of the stuff he does as a slot receiver, you know, it just makes the defenses look silly. Um, now, he doesn't play the greatest competition in the world, but if you want some fun film to watch, that's the guy to turn on. Um, then, you know, Jihad Carter, he's a guy that mid-three-star guy, you know, in most rankings, but he's probably top five overall recruits at Virginia Tech. They loved him, got him to commit early, uh, he's a guy that can truly play offense or defense. Can play wide receiver, safety, corner, uh, kind of any, anywhere he wants. Um, you know, I think he's got a really high ceiling. Uh, nobody really knew about him. Virginia Tech got in there, got him committed. He's picked up some offers, uh, but he's another guy that seems pretty solid right now. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised to see some schools like maybe Florida State come in, maybe Clemson come in down the road and try to pull a guy like that out of Virginia because he's. He's a guy that's got a very, very high ceiling, regardless of what his ranking is. You mentioned Hudson. He, he's an interesting one. He's a like a, a really good shot putter. Uh, I think nationally ranked or something like that. I read an article that he has Olympic ambitions uh, in that sport as well. What do you think of the direction of offensive line recruiting? I know that's been such a sore spot uh, for Hokies fans over the years. Uh, I feel like Virginia Tech's made some progress on that front, and certainly with the two guys they have right now, if they could land somebody like Riley Simons as well, 
Uh, that's a pretty good class on the offensive line, even even if you miss on a guy like Quinn Carroll, who who obviously got some great offers from all over the place. They had a, a, a legacy connection there with Colin Carroll, but uh, it seems like this could be a pretty good offensive line class in the end. Yeah, I think it's been uh, trending pretty well. Um, you know, recently, I I kind of had a feeling it was going to happen when uh, when Vice, Vance Vice came in to Virginia Tech, and one of his first offers was Silas Ramsey. You know, I I kind of knew him throughout the uh, the camp circuit world, and everybody knew there were you know a little bit of academic concerns, but the guy just he knew how to play football. Um, you, you would see him as a D lineman, D tackle, D end, but he looked at his body and he was a prototypical offensive tackle. So, you know, he goes in and offers him, gets him to commit. I think he committed on the spot when he got the offer, and you know, two well three years later after he went to prep school. You know, he's in line to be starting left tackle. I think things like that kind of resonate. You know, look at a guy like Christian Darisaw, another guy, no real offers. Virginia Tech goes in, get the offers in him, he commits, goes to prep school, and now, you know, coming out of the spring, he's number two on the depth chart at, at tackle and in, in line to play true freshman. So, you know, I think that the, the recruiting has definitely changed. I think that the type of offensive lineman they're looking at has changed a little bit. I think it's definitely more about uh, frame and athleticism than it is right now about pure talent and size. You know, obviously you have guys that have both. Like Brian Hudson has both. Um, Jesse Hansen has both. If they can get Riley Simons, Riley Simons has, you know, he's I think he's 323 pounds right now. He's got a lot of mass and he's got very good talent. Um, but I do think that things have started to change. I think that you can see it also on the field. I think the whole attitude of the offensive line has started to change. Um, and you know that all the, everything starts up front on both sides of the ball. So if they if Virginia Tech can get consistent in offensive and defensive line recruiting, I think that you'll see the trajectory of the program start to improve. Well, considering Dancy was a two-star prospect with one other offer from Delaware State, I can see why he jumped <laughs> the Virginia Tech offer uh, when that came about. Uh, we, we we mentioned running back, obviously defensive tackle is, is big uh, priorities in this class. Are, are there any other positions that you think Tech really needs to go after or really address in this recruiting cycle? Yeah, they really need to to bring in one true corner. Um, you know, like I said, Mike Sainer, I think he can play corner. I also think he can play slot receiver. Um, Jihad Carter could play offense or defense. Equity Hawkins, I see him more as a safety, but a true cover corner is something that they uh, they they need to find probably during the camp season. You know, there are some guys they've offered, um, but corners typically get evaluated at camp. It's a way that you can. Uh, that's kind of a, an old thing Torian Gray used to do: bring a kid to camp, work him out, then you can see if he's going to work for you and work in in Bud Foster's system. And I haven't really seen that change, you know, even with the uh, the staff turnover at Virginia Tech. So I think that over the next couple of weeks while Virginia Tech hits the camp scene, I think you'll start to see some of these corners, uh, corner offers go up. I think you'll see some of these guys uh, try to work out and get an offer. I know Jermaine Waller last year, he picked his offer up at camp. Nadir Thompson picked his up at camp. Uh, you know, so I think that it's just uh, it's just a thing that Virginia Tech does, and I expect them to uh, to find a corner here in the next few weeks. That they got their their eye on Daquan Watts out of Georgia, out of Atlanta, who's supposed to be working out at one of their satellite camps, and he's a guy that I think could be could be an option for them uh, in the future. 
Well, we're in the the peak moment of the off season. Uh, what's the schedule kind of look up like for Virginia Tech coming up? What are the the crucial weekends, and, and when do you think some of these commitments might start rolling in? You know, over the next starting starting on Sunday, they start their camp window for June, um, which will be on campus in Blacksburg on Sunday, and then they they travel to to different universities to do joint camps with them. They'll be in New Jersey. They'll be in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, they'll be in Richmond. They'll be in Hampton Roads. Uh, they'll be in Maryland. Uh, um, they might be up in Pennsylvania. I'm not positive of that one right now. But they'll do they'll do satellite camps. Uh, you know, basically Monday through Friday of this coming week. Um, and then Friday night and Saturday, there's going to be some recruits that are coming up on campus. There's a specialist camp. Uh, going on kickers and punters and long snappers and another on-campus camp on next Sunday on the 10th uh, and then one or two more satellite camps the next week and then their camp window kind of closes and there's a big dead period from the middle of June to the middle of July. Uh, their big our summer camp or summer date is uh, the end of July. I believe it's July 29th. That's when they do their Blackford barbecue bash. Um, when they'll have all their commits come in, they'll have their top targets for the next few classes come in. And over the last few years since they've been doing it, that has been the event of the summer that's kind of brought in commitment. So I think that that will be uh, the the biggest recruiting um, event this summer. You know, like I've said before, this class is already almost half full. So I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of, you know, there's going to be a flurry of commits uh, coming over the next few weeks. I think July could bring a, a couple of commitments. August, you know, a lot of people want to commit during their fall camp before the season starts so they can get the recruiting process over with. Uh, and then, you know, you'll always have some guys as the December signing period comes closer, maybe take an official and, and make a decision then and sign in December. So, you know, I think this class will be majority of the way done by the time Virginia Tech kicks off against Florida State. Um, there'll have to be a couple guys that'll hold out, but for the most part, I think this class will be pretty pretty well developed by then. Well, recruiting never sleeps. Uh, you never sleep covering it. This is Evan G. Watkins. Follow him on Twitter at Evan G. Watkins 247. Check out his stuff on btscoop.com. They cover recruiting as well as anybody uh, at Virginia Tech. Evan, thank you for coming on the show again. We'll, we'll have to do this again sometime. People eat this recruiting stuff up. It's always the most listened to podcast that I have. No problem. Anytime. Well, that's Evan Watkins. Uh, this is Andy Bitter from the Roanoke Times uh, signing off this week. We'll we'll try to come back next week with some kind of podcast. We'll figure something out. I, I don't know if I'll go back and do it with Aaron or try to find another guest to bring in, but we're going to try to plow through this offseason with something every week. So thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.